Traditionally, academic medical centers have been places where patient care and scientific inquiry were linked in ways that benefited patients, residents, and the medical field in general. In recent years, however, increasing demands on physicians and specialization of care have meant that trainees aren't regularly exposed to scientific inquiry that's driven by patients' cases. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Katrina Armstrong, Chair of the Department of Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. Dr. Armstrong has co-authored a perspective article about a program to promote scientific inquiry at her institution. Dr. Armstrong, in your article, you describe a general shift away from patient-based inquiry in academic medicine. When did you start seeing these changes, and what made them happen? My perspective, really, is I've been in medicine now for all over 25 years, and that as the tools have developed in science that took us down to the molecular level, that those tools really pulled us away from studying the person or the patient as a unit of inquiry. And so really, over the last several decades, it's been this almost paradox that our tools for understanding human biology have exploded, but they've been further and further away from the actual bedside of patients who we're trying to understand. And so it's really, I think, been going on over several decades at least. So you describe in your article Mass General's Pathways Service, which was designed to address that shift, trying to train residents in patient-based scientific inquiry. How have you fit that into the program that residents and attendings have to deal with? The schedules they've got are so demanding already. That's one of the greatest challenges for us is kind of in any academic medicine enterprise is balancing the imperatives of today, the patients who need to be cared for today, with really, I think, what our greatest mission is in many ways, which is ensuring that we're creating the future of medicine and the future of how we're going to care for patients. So what we have the ability to do, and I think many, many places do, is really to kind of pilot and experiment with how can we create some time for residents, how can we can create some time for the faculty, where they're really going to dive deep into a single patient. What it turns out is that even a relatively small amount of time, so the program we've created, the house staff spend two weeks together as a team with a group of basic scientists and other people who are interested in the problems and the questions. And even that two weeks out of a three-year time together with us has a really profound impact we're discovering on how they think about medicine and how they think about their role in asking what do we not understand about the patient in front of us? What is it that we could really do to dig deeper, to do better for this patient and to move medicine forward? So it's a relatively small amount of time if you think about the big picture and what it might accomplish. You say in your article that patients are referred to the pathway service if they have extreme or unusual disease phenotypes. Can you give us some examples of those and also tell us whether the residents have come to any especially interesting conclusions? Absolutely. I mean, so what I will say, this is probably the biggest challenge that we have still, is that on some level, one of the things we hold true here at the MGH and I think in every hospital is that every patient is fundamentally interesting. And there's questions to ask and ways to help. But what we've focused on is patients who I often describe are at a certain point in their disease or in their course where things all of a sudden don't line up and they don't make sense the way we thought they would. So, for example, we admitted a young individual who had previously been given a diagnosis of an inflammatory bowel disease but never progressed in the way that that disease diagnosis, that label, should have done and then presented with acute renal failure 
and was found to have these specific things called granulomas in places that nobody expected had a granulomatous nephritis. And that led to a group of residents thinking completely differently about what might be driving the underlying inflammatory process in this individual to really thinking completely differently about both the investigations of what antigen or what process might be going on that led to this diffuse granulomatous inflammation. But I think what was really most exciting to us is it changed the course of what that resident thought about studying and doing for the rest of her career, recognizing that we just don't understand granulomas at all. And I think that's the power both of the individual case driving the question but then the time to dig in and recognize how little we really do understand about pathophysiology right now and the tools we have to bring to those questions. So for that resident, it sounds like a great success. How have residents in general responded to the program, and how are you measuring whether it is successful? Well, that is such a great question. So I would say for us, there's probably a number of different measures. Residents are an extraordinary group, and one of the great benefits of my job is getting to spend time with them. And they vote with their feet. And so if residents are getting something out of an elective, which is what this is, they come to it. And so we have been really amazed that over the last year, the demand to participate in this and the immediate short-term feedback that we get from residents who both come from a deep kind of basic science background and residents who don't, is really extraordinary. So I will say for us, the short-term impact is really how it's become adopted and integrated into the residency program in a very short time. This program was created by two residents, a resident named Victor Fedorov and Lauren Zaitels, who unfortunately we lost in an unbelievable tragedy to an avalanche last spring. And so in their passing, we were very concerned about how this would become adopted by the residency, but the short-term impact across residents wanting to do it has been huge. Measuring the longer-term impact is one of those challenges in any educational process. What we're really hoping to do is to really ensure a workforce that thinks this way in 10 and 20 years and that mentors young people that way. And to some extent, That is going to be measured, I think, in how the history books are written about where academic medicine goes in the next 20 years. It's not going to be able to be quantified in the way that we might wish for a randomized trial, let's say, of a medication. What about the patients? Do they have to consent to participate in the pathway service? The pathway service both is a clinical service, so we are referred patients who are coming into the hospital and their clinicians refer us and we offer an opinion and we'll come and bring people from a multidisciplinary team to offer clinical advice about how to think about what might be going on and what might be done clinically. And then there is a research protocol attached to the pathway service that patients can opt into. So far, we haven't had a patient that didn't want to opt into that. And so for that process where we collect biospecimens, we link to laboratories across the country, That process is consented, and so there's a protocol and a consent process, and we've trained a lot of people to collect consent for that protocol. Finally, are there other academic medical centers around the country that are doing this, and what kind of advice would you give to people who want to institute such a program? Absolutely, and I think one of the great things has been to see that I think that this commitment to how we're going to train young physicians to fall in love with it 
is really, I think, a big part of academic medicine across the country. Programs going on and starting to be built at University of California in San Francisco. I just had a great discussion with folks at Hopkins interested in, in doing many of these things. So I think my advice, as with many of these things, is that it has to come from the residents and that we have to trust that generation, engage them in how to do this. And then we have to be very, very thoughtful about bringing and encouraging the integration across science and our clinical medicine. Most places have scientists working in laboratories who are eager to see how what they're doing might apply and might benefit a patient. And so our job, I think, as department chairs or as academic leaders is to figure out how to bring those pieces together, to remove the barriers so that they can come together and kind of create the special magic. So my advice would be to trust your people and figure out how to remove those barriers to bring people together around a patient. And the magic happens when you do that. Thank you, Dr. Armstrong.